if we insist on being buttoned up, polished professionals, you know, that gets us a certain distance in our business lives. But I think showing up as a human being and being willing to relate to our clients and our colleagues as human beings, not just as professionals, gets us 10 times further. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. As a leadership coach, I work inside organizations and I focus on helping leaders achieve their whole person potential and meaningfully contribute to their organization's mission. With this podcast, I share leadership best practices, developmental approaches, and stories of exemplary leaders. Andrea Howe is on a mission to kick conventional business wisdom to the curb and transform how people work together as a result. The first phase of her consulting career was as an IT consultant, but she got increasingly interested in the relational aspect of our professional lives and then got laser focused on trust building right around 2006. Now she creates deep dive learning experiences on topics like how to be a trusted advisor, how to develop business in a trust-based way, and how to have influence without authority. She's also the co-author with Charlie Green, who is in the last episode, on the Trusted Advisor Field Book, which is a comprehensive toolkit for leading with trust. She is also the founder of the Get Real Project, where she and her colleagues do collective kicking of conventional business wisdom. I am on a trust binge these days and appreciate your willingness to take me on a deep dive. So welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Yeah. So can we just jump in? Absolutely. All right. I'm ready for the deep dive. Okay. And just as an aside, um, Andrea is known as leading the deep dive division of the Trusted Advisor Associate. So we're in for a treat today. So the last podcast, again, was with Charlie Green. And he wrote the book, The Trusted Advisor. The two of you co-authored the field book. And I do want to start today just by reminding people uh, who may have listened or if this is the first time listening of the elements of the trust equation. We're not going to go deep into that because you like to focus on a couple of the elements, but just as context, could you please review that with us? Absolutely. And Charlie said so beautifully in your conversation with him, if he had to do it all over again, he'd probably call it the trustworthiness equation. So the T, if you imagine imagine a formula, T stands for trustworthiness, as in our own, because that's what we focus on. That's what we have power and control over. And he defined it with his original authors of The Trusted Advisor, trustworthiness as a function of four variables, three in the numerator, 
credibility plus reliability plus intimacy. And we want all those to be as high as possible. And then in the denominator, self-orientation, which we want to have as low as possible. And, and generally speaking, the credibility and reliability are in the more rational or logical realm of trust building. Intimacy and self-orientation is in the more emotional or psychological realm, which is why I like to like draw like a circle around those two or more like an, what's that? The shape, an ellipsis. Uh, <laughs> right, like, like an ellipse. A, an ellipse, yeah, exactly. And, um, and really focus in there because certainly in the professional context that I've grown up in and been in for nearly 30 years now, that isn't typically what gets the most attention, yet it is typically what usually sets us apart and gives us the greatest payback. Yeah. And just from our last conversation, I have such appreciation. I do so much leadership development work. And of course, credibility and reliability are super important. And a lot of times that's what comes to mind first when we're thinking about trust. Yes. And I think the intimacy and the self-orientation is where the juice is. Yes. It's where we all probably need to be building more self-awareness. Absolutely. Is in those domains. And I love what you said at the beginning here, where you said we focus on trustworthiness because that's where we have the power. We can't focus on other people's trustworthiness. No, or even the extent to which you are trusting. I I can't really influence that in a generalized way. Mm -hmm. I can influence how I show up with you and potentially your propensity to place trust in me. But as a human being, Leanne, I don't really have any control (laughs) over you in that way. Okay. So let's just talk, first of all, intimacy is a interesting term in a business context. Yes. And I think it's really important. I don't know if there's another word besides intimacy that describes what that element is. So maybe you can describe what the element is and take the mystery out of this part of the conversation. Yeah. In short, Charlie also mentioned during his conversation with you that we periodically get pushback around the word and, you know, can't we use something that's a little more politically sensitive or politically correct. And he very boldly says, really, no, because the word captures, there is a level of risk-taking inherent in the word. There's a level of emotional connectedness that it reflects. It isn't just about rapport and ease and friendliness and you know our ability to get along well. It is really about the extent to which there is safety in our relationship and the extent to which I, as the person trying to be more trustworthy, am doing a good job of laying the foundation for that and maintaining a sense of safety and making it easier Uh, for you to take risks in kind. So it's a risky word because it's a risky phenomenon and it's a risky endeavor in a way. And that is, that's part of the beauty of it because in the risk-taking is where the trust building occurs. We don't get deep levels of trust without a willingness to take risks. So it is fundamentally about, you know, the extent to which there is Yes, ease, rapport, comfort, but also, uh, like I said, that emotional connectedness. Because sometimes what's really necessary for our relationship to advance is for us to muddle through some uncomfortable times. 
And it's about how well can we navigate that together and with the right amount of safety as our frame for what might be, you know, tense or uneasy or difficult from time to time. I am, as I'm listening to you, thinking about your mission, about kicking conventional business wisdom to the curb. Yeah. And this feels to me like an example, like um, that willingness to kind of be in the mess and, and be uncomfortable when we don't know exactly how to do something, what the answer is, whatever. Conventional wisdom I, I think would be don't let him see you sweat. Exactly. <laughs> and kind of show up as the expert and the person who knows. Yes. And I'm getting you don't agree with that. <laughs> I don't agree with that at all. Well, I mean, look, it's it's not that that's wrong per se. It's just limited in my experience and in part of what I've learned from being from partnering with Charlie for 15 years and being so immersed in this content. I mean, you think about somebody in your life who you trust deeply, whether that's in a professional realm or personal realm, it doesn't matter. At some point and probably at multiple points, they've taken some kind of risk. They've gone out on a limb. You've weathered a challenging storm together, whether it's been a long storm or a short storm. There's been trials and tribulations and and where humanity got exposed. (laughs) And I think that you know, yeah, if if we insist on being buttoned up, polished professionals, you know, that gets us a certain distance in our business lives. But I think showing up as a human being and being willing to relate to our clients and our colleagues as human beings, not just as professionals, gets us 10 times further. And it is paradoxical. You know, a lot of times what builds the most trust, requires us to do the opposite of what we've been taught, what conventional wisdom tells us, or what our baser instincts, not our higher selves, but what our baser instincts will tell us to do. We have to you know, be willing to reveal a vulnerability when our baser instincts are saying, you know, protect, 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 you know, look good, look good, look good. But like you said, that's, that's where the juice is. It is where the juice is. And like you were saying, it's also not an either or. Because showing up buttoned up in the beginning and not wearing our heart on our sleeves in the first right. meeting right. is also, also important. That credibility aspect, can I show up as a professional? And Absolutely. do I have appropriate boundaries? And so yes. it's not an either or, but that's only the beginning. If we never get past that, then we don't get into the depth of the relationship. And I was in fact speaking with someone just before this, and we're at a point in our professional relationship that she's needing to give me feedback on my podcast, on my website, on all of those things. And we have that relationship now for her to be able to do that. But it it would have felt odd in the first meeting yeah, so for so her to we, say those say, same things, right. but like it, it would have been too much, too much too soon. Right, right. Yeah. It would have been too much too soon. But if she never told me that, then I wouldn't improve. Right. Yeah. Well, and there's some really interesting things. I know one thing I really appreciate about you, Leanne, is you like to really dig into the nuance. So I think there's some nuances and some things I want to build on around what you said. So a couple of key points. Judgment is critical. There is such a thing as too much too soon. 
you know, it may, it may not make sense in our first interactions or interactions for me to disclose deep, meaningful, personal things about myself. <laughs> it, it may never make sense. That might be in the realm of private rather than personal. And, you know, where does that line live? It's different for all of us. It depends on the relationship. There's art to this. There's no one answer of how much risk is too much risk. What I would say, though, is I think the, the, that real mastery around trust building comes from not assuming that in a first meeting, credibility and reliability are the only relevant variables, but looking for opportunities to take small risks, to bring into high intimacy and low self-orientation, even into a brand new relationship, and to look for I mean, look, in, in some, I work with some very, very senior level people at some of the biggest consulting firms, for example, in the world. And sometimes they got one 30-minute shot with a C-level executive and that's it. They can't count on having a second meeting. And sometimes your best move is a bold move. But if you're going to go really bold in the first meeting, then, you know, you also practice another intimacy dimension is, which is to say, look, I'm going to go really bold here and you might kick me out for what I'm about to say. You know, so there are ways that you can, I don't want to say cushion because it's not about softening, but there's, there are ways you can help make it safer for people if you are going to take big risks early on. And there are also opportunities to say, okay, where could I be more you know, how do I want to take small steps to create a safe space? And as I'm listening, I'm hearing fear also and yeah. the role that that can play. Yes. And that this conversation, say I'm the person in that meeting, I have 30 minutes, I decide I want to go bold yep. and I'm afraid. Yep. So I put it out there and I say, I'm going to be bold. And I say that I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a bit of a risk here. And I know that you have a strong interest and a, and a strong belief in the role that fear plays in our ability to develop trust or not. So I'd love for you to speak on that. Yeah, thank you for that invitation, because I think it's such an important topic. And when was the last time, you know, in the course of a regular business conversation or business training or business anything, you had a heart to heart conversation about how was fear showing up and running mm -hmm. the show. We just, we don't typically talk about it, but linking back to the trust equation, it is the biggest and simplest driver of high self-orientation. Remember self-orientation is in the denominator. We want it to be low. It basically has to do with the extent to which we're truly focused on others. And when we are triggered by fear, which by the way, we all deal with on an, in an everyday basis, we're card-carrying members of the human race. It'll be slightly different for all of us. We have our own versions and varieties, but human beings struggle with, professionals struggle with, you know, fear of being rejected, fear of being a disappointment, fear of embarrassment, fear of fill in the blank. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, very sneaky. Sometimes it's overt and we're present to it. We can feel it in our bodies. And other times it's a little subtle insidious force that has us suddenly doing or saying things that maybe aren't the optimal from a trust building standpoint. But I, th I think it's pervasive and I think it's critical for us to attend to. 
And I think it also happens to be our biggest trust derailer. I ask that. So if any of you ever attend a webinar I do or any kind of training in the future, now you've got the answer, right? Because I'll ask <laughs> often at the beginning, especially in our virtual Zoom world, you know, everybody chat in. What's your answer to this question? What's the biggest trust derailer for us all? And very common answers are, you know, dishonesty and not doing what you said you were going to do and not being right now, not being able to be face to face. And all those are absolutely valid answers. But I think the more fundamental answer is the thing that's underneath all of those things, usually like what's underneath the dishonesty or underneath the tendency to maybe you don't blatantly lie, but you don't candidly confess to not knowing something, you just sidestep it or What's behind, you know, why you didn't deliver something wholeheartedly or, you know, usually fear is, is the biggest thing that we deal with. And I think we got to put, shine some light on it, normalize it, practice some ways to manage it and mitigate it, and therefore be able to show up not only more powerfully and more grounded and centered way, but also more courageously. Because courage was once defined for me as not the absence of fear, but you know, making, you know, it's a choice that you make in the face of fear. And, and courage was uh, a big word that, that, that Charlie used and emphasized in our last conversation. So when I first started working with the trust equation and we talked about self-orientation, we stayed more at the level of, am I driving my own agenda? Yeah. Am I speaking more than I'm listening do I have to be right? Right. And this nuance of being fearful and the connection to self-orientation feels super nuanced mm. and really important. So I, I want you to be really specific about how fear is related to self-orientation, because if I were to write those words next to each other, right. I wouldn't make the connection. Well, you just gave three great examples. So driving our own agenda. When we shift into that mode, it is usually because I would assert there's some sort of fear that's driving that. So I'm, I'm scared I'm not going to make my numbers. So suddenly I get really transactionally and sales oriented instead of staying true to focusing on what's most helpful for my client in this moment, whether mm -hmm. that has anything to do with me or not, or I'm, I'm protecting myself in some way. I'm concerned about, you know, embarrassing myself in front of my colleagues. So, you know, I just, I get uh, something triggers that I get sort of focused on my needs, my wants, my outcomes, so speaking more than listening. I think it's one of the scariest things to do to actually just be quiet and, and to give people space to share and express and to really, you know, I don't know, I'm going to say something may sound kind of woo-woo, especially in a business context, but just be with them in that moment, it's much easier. Look, I'm a highly trained consultant <laughs> as a recovering IT consultant. We were taught to get in there, ask good questions, even told explicitly, control the conversation, Yeah. right? So it's a lot of times if it's about control, if you're talking rather than listening, you're trying to control something, what is control? It's a fear-based response. Um, having, so our, right, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so again, this is important for me that listening makes us feel out of control. If I were to, 
to draw a straight line there, and maybe you didn't intend for a straight line to be drawn. But when we're listening, we don't feel in, in control of the conversation. So that causes fear, which may cause us to take up more airtime. Yes, I think that's right. I, I maybe didn't mean to draw that line, but I, I like that line. Yeah, <laughs> I think it makes, it's, the right, it's the right line. Yeah, I do a lot of teaching around active listening. Yeah. And God, we have it really trained in us that we need to be imparting our wisdom. Right. The people all the time. I do want to make a note here. I don't know if this is going to stay in, but the yard crew has arrived. (laughs) (laughs) I think that needs to stay in the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. uh, They are going to be in the background here. Welcome to 2021. The continuation of 2020. Right. Well, and I do want to speak to that. Even welcome to 2021. I I work from home anyway, all the time. I have a home office. Uh, most people uh, did not. And you actually wrote several blog posts on the 80-20 rule and being virtual. And I think that your first post was actually on fear. Mm -hmm. And especially last year, and I can't say it's gone away, but like last year, we had so much unknown when like this time last year, the country was shutting down. Right. We didn't know how long we were going to be home. We know all that. And even today, we're getting our vaccinations. The country is opening back up again, primarily. So I'm speaking from the United States, but we're still in this unknown. Is it really safe for me to be out? And will we be going back into the office? I mean, a lot of businesses have not actually decided if they're going to return to the office or not. So we have this, I think this just background of fear and uncertainty, and you even wrote it in your blog post, this ambiguity, which our brains and our nervous system are not able to rest right now. So we have this low grade fear going on. And I personally last week got into a funk and I think my nervous system is just plain worn out. Done. It's, <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So I'm curious if you have anything else to say about the environment that we've been in, the role fear has been playing in that, any impact that you've seen and how people are addressing it. Feels really important. It is important. So I have a couple of things. One is to just amplify everything you just said, underline, underscore, bold, italicize, whatever. Yes, 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 yes. So fear is our biggest trust derailer all the time, I assert. And, you know, multiply that by a factor of 10 or 20 and, and maybe even exponentially higher and higher, given the amount of time we've all been dealing with the ambiguity, right? A year plus. The U.S. just celebrated our one-year anniversary or whatever that was a couple of weeks ago when our lives changed really dramatically. So I I think the implications are that it makes it all that more imperative to attend to it. Part of that is just being aware of it. It's knowing, you know, other questions I ask in 
in my workshops are, so what's the biggest derailer? We established that it's fear. You know, then a follow-up question, how do you know when your baser instincts are running, running the show, when you're in a fear-based place? And usually people can answer really quickly. And it's either a physiological response or it's a, something that happens in our minds. You know, we disconnect or we go on overdrive or there's a whole variety of common human reactions. So knowing that is key. And I think 90%-ish of the battle, that's not a hard statistic. That's my, you know, my general assessment. Mm -hmm. And then knowing, you know, how, how can we manage that in the moment? What helps us quickly shift uh, when we recognize that those things are happening and are in play for us? And when I ask that question too, usually people know they've got something at their disposal that's a tip or a tool or a technique that they use to get themselves recentered. And again, here we are, Liam, we're, we're having a business contextualized conversation about things like fear and getting recentered. And, you know, those may seem like odd and woo-woo topics. And I think they are the topics that truly powerful leaders recognize need to be addressed on a regular basis. It's mm-hmm. self-awareness and self-management. They're the cornerstones of emotional intelligence. They're the cornerstones of trusted advisorship, cornerstones of trust-based leadership, in my view. Yeah, I do a lot of work around embodied leadership and leadership presence. And one of the things that I'm finding these days is that more and more people are noticing when their heart rate is, is going up. So things like noticing heart rate, noticing breath, noticing when the voice gets shaky or when I actually can't speak. You know, one of my signs is that my throat actually feels like it starts closing up when I'm afraid or when I'm in fear. Yeah. So that's a big one. And then the mind, when the mind starts racing, you know, that's another thing that I think people are becoming more attuned to. And I heard the most beautiful podcast this week with Krista Tippett. She was interviewing a woman named Christine Runyon, a doctor. And she was saying basically exactly what you're saying about the senses. And she was actually saying things like bring in more sensorial aspects like music and scents. Like she didn't say essential oils, but she said, you know, things that are are grounding to us, feet on the ground, et cetera. So yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm just, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm connecting to this podcast I heard earlier. We don't have to go into therapy to deal with our fear. No. Oh, and the other thing was like deep breaths, you know, which we all know, like, and being longer on the exhale than on the inhale. And well, the I beautiful just, thing about the breath is it's it's available to us. Right, we come back reloaded with it, yeah. If it's yeah. not available, we have a bigger problem than our fear. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. But it so quickly changes our, is it the parasympathetic or the sympathetic? It changes yeah, our yeah. nervous system for the better really yes. quickly. Yeah. And I think everything that you're saying and all the advanced training you have in somatics and other things, I mean, people have known for years, centuries, the importance of 
being grounded in our bodies. And yet in the domains, in the realms of leadership and consulting and professionalism, you know, we've treated it, I think, historically as a nice to have. It's like it's icing on the cake rather than it's yeast in bread that rises. Mm. And I think some of what we're going through collectively is bringing attention to these foundational fundamental things um, that have us be effective and powerful in the best of ways. Yeah, I've never thought about all of this as if I take care of my fear and my uncertainty that I will be more trustworthy. I -hmm. could be more trustworthy. Right. The other person gets to decide if they're going to trust me or not. But I set the stage by taking care of my own fear. And like you said, those base emotions, those base instincts. Right. When I'm taking care of that, I can show up in a more trusting way. Well, and we can link it directly to the trust equation or the Mm -hmm. trustworthiness equation because it goes back to self-orientation. Self-orientation is about focus. It's low when your focus is on others. So that's partly attention and it's also motive. So think about it. When we're in a fear-based place, even if it's subtle, the ability to really tune in to another human being is compromised. Even if it's just a little, it's still compromised. And sometimes it's compromised a lot. And then our motives get skewed too, because suddenly we're acting out of our own self-preservation instead of acting out of somebody else's best interest. Even if we're good-hearted, well-intended people, this is, you know, this is part of the human condition that we all deal with. Well, and I think that that is one of the key distinctions around the self-orientation piece is that part of what a high self-orientation does feels counterintuitive because I will not have crucial conversations, right? which are really, really important. I have seen countless times when leaders have been more willing to fire someone than to have a really hard developmental conversation with them. They put off that conversation until there's no other choice. Right. And the kind thing to do would have been to have a difficult developmental conversation with someone months ago right? and give them the chance to improve right? or at least the chance to make the choice. Exactly. And that's counterintuitive to me that having difficult conversations takes low self-orientation. Yes. It appears to defy logic. And yet on another level, it makes perfect sense. It does. In the yeah. consulting industry, they do something even worse. They don't let people go. They just shift it. They just move them around. Mm-hmm. Tran- transfer <laughs> so, the problem. Exactly. Yeah. So, and it just, it's such a lose-lose for everybody. And it, it doesn't mean it's easy. Look, there's nothing about trusted advisorship or evolved leadership that's easy. There's a lot about it that's simple. It's not necessarily easy. And that's mm-hmm. where the, you know, the courage piece comes in, the self-awareness, the self-management, having tools at your disposal, knowing how to, you know, having some ideas for what words to use to start a challenging conversation and how to prepare for it and how to navigate it. All of those things become critically important. Yeah. Um, I I want to also make sure that we spend some time on the intimacy 
mm-hmm. part of the equation. The whole fear thing, I must be really wrapped up in that today because I really <laughs> stayed on that for a long time. So intimacy at work, I know we have courage, vulnerability, empathy, all of those things live, I think, in the intimacy element. And even though self-orientation is the denominator, Charlie was saying in our conversation that what they're finding is that intimacy is the most powerful aspect of the equation. Why is that? Well, it, I mean, just from a data-based perspective, he says that because in looking at the data we've collected over more than a decade now, that those with the highest intimacy scores tend to also have the highest trustworthiness scores. But looking at it from a non-sort of data-based perspective, I think that, again, if, if you go back to the core definition of what it is, I, Charlie you know, refers to it as security or safety. I like the word safety. Look, we can all get you know, halfway decent business results without there necessarily being a high degree of safety in, in many cases. I just don't think we're able to get exceptional results if there isn't that kind of safety in a relationship. You, if you're my client, what's the likelihood that you're going to disclose to me uh, or even be willing to explore with me you know, the real issues, what really needs to be attended to, what you're really concerned about, mm. what your fears are. And so we look at our fears in managing self-orientation in the equation, but, you know, we're all dealing with a lot of fear. And unless there is a degree of safety that it's just like putting a big tamp or a lid on where we can go in the conversations. And that that impacts our relatedness, but it also impacts the quality of the work that we do. Because you may never get to the real source of the problem. You know, what's the, the real issue to be addressed? What is the real business problem to solve? Very often, I think Charlie referenced David Meister mm-hmm. when you and he were talking about saying, you know, the problem is, is basically never what the client said it was in the first place. And it's not because clients wake up saying, I'm going to lie to my consultants today or I'm going to lie to my colleagues. It's because sometimes it takes a little time to unpack those things. Now, you now use, I'm wondering, use, did I answer your question? Yeah, and I it caused me to think of something else because I know that you have a term, the word safe haven. Yes. Is in there somewhere. What is the term that you use? I like to, and I don't think I made it up. I think I got it out of the book, The Trusted Advisor. I like the five-word phrase, safe haven for tough issues, as the fundamental definition of what it means to be a trusted advisor. And that's distinct from being a trusted problem solver. You, you can work on tough issues without being a trusted advisor. But if you really are going to be a safe haven for tough issues, that's where you're bringing all four variables of the trust equation into the relationship. And you're attending, you know, it's marked by a breadth or a wide range of the types of issues that might be on the table to get worked. But it's also representing a depth of the relationship mm-hmm. at the same time. It's really going back to you know, what you were saying, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Yeah, I'm thinking about the safe haven for tough issues and the intimacy there. I think from the client perspective, do I feel safe enough to continue answering your questions? Right. So so that's one thing is that will I stay in the conversation and will I keep 
stay with you until we think that we, we've got a clear understanding of what the issue is or what we can do. On the flip side, if I'm the, if I'm the, the value provider or the service provider in that conversation, continuing the conversation past what I actually know the answer to. Right. Yes. So I can, I can stop when my level of expertise has been reached. Right. But a client may need me to go further. Exactly. So I have to be okay with, with going further and saying, I'm going to keep going here, but I don't, I'm not sure that we're going to solve it here. But yeah, I, I want to close a realm out of my yeah. is a direct link back to what you were saying before about how listening is actually can feel like a really scary endeavor because it invites all kinds of unknowns, which creates a lot of ambiguity. And maybe in that moment, if I'm really deeply listening and understanding that a client's issue, all of a sudden I realize that the core of the issue has nothing to do with the products and services that I provide. Well, then, you know, am I willing to hang in there? Am I willing to then self-orientation comes into play too, right? If my goal is not to sell them something, but to help them. And by the way, selling can be selling an idea. It doesn't have to be selling is always something done by salespeople per se. But if my goal is really to help them, am I willing to get in there and muddle in in territory that I don't really know and understand that well myself? Uh, that's so interesting that you said selling an idea because then then we're all in the role of of selling. Absolutely. If you want to enroll someone in an idea at work, if you want to enroll someone to work on a project, yes, all of this, every single element, works in that situation too. Exactly. It's about influence. Yeah. You know, like it is. Filling. And, and I see a, a really big connection to with commitment mm. and the cycle of commitment and commitment conversations and trust. Because with commitment, you know, comes the enrollment aspect. And, you know, I, I could go into a whole nother diatribe <laughs> on that, but I've never made that connection before either. But it's where when we want to get something done, we're a leader, we're leading a project, we need to enroll people. Do they trust us to join the project? And then we go through all of those elements again. I'm curious, Andrea, right now, what else you might be noticing? Any other trends or patterns that you're seeing in your world right now, whether it's in the webinars? And I think you have a webinar coming up too. So I want to make sure that people know about that as well. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious about any recent lessons learned or any tweaks or nuances that you're seeing based on the last couple of years. That's a really good question. I think one thing that comes to mind that I'm coming back to, and it popped into my mind when we were talking about fears earlier, this is also going to seem counterintuitive or countercultural, but is the power that leading with generosity makes available. And I think there are so many ways that people have shown up in such an extraordinarily generous way in the face of what people have been dealing with around the globe, not just in our country, obviously, for the last year. And there's, you know, there's pandemic issues, but we're also dealing with 
you know, new light or, or a brighter light shined for some on racial justice issues. We've had hurricanes and wildfires and freezes and, you know, it's just the, <laughs> the list is long. So there's something very compelling and powerful and important around generosity as a, I was going to say as a tactic, but that makes it sound more gimmicky and transactional than I mean for it to. I guess what it is for me is I think generosity is one of the most compelling ways to manage ourselves out of our own fear while also making a difference for other people. So it's like a, a touchstone that we can return to. Because in my experience, when I'm in a generous space, I'm not able, at least in that moment, I, I'm not in a fear-based place. I don't think those two things can coexist. Huh. One of the things I'm seeing and I'm reminding myself to be present to as a way of myself managing my own fatigue, you know, the absence of what I cannot remember the name of the woman who wrote the article on, you know, the absence of surge capacity, some really brilliant perspectives. Mm. Um, I'm staying present to the way generosity is showing up in the world and looking at how can I bring generosity into my relationships. And that includes business relationships. I mean, one of the fundamental sales lessons I learned from Charlie early on was to be willing to give stuff away, give away ideas, give away, give things away. And that doesn't mean not value your services. It doesn't mean not charge appropriately for your services. But one of the best ways for people to have an experience of who you are is to get a little taste of it. So why not be willing to invest? Give them a little demo. Give them a, give them a something. Give them a brainstorming session where you don't send them an invoice at the end of it as a way of getting to know, you know who you are and, and what you're capable of. So I think generosity is as much a, business, a legit business strategy as it is a personal strategy for managing in really difficult times. Well, and I love the idea, uh, and I don't care if it's scientifically true or not, <laughs> but the idea that perhaps generosity and fear can't coexist within us at the same time. Right. It's fun to be generous. I mean, it feels, it feels good. It does. And counterintuitively, I think when we feel the most tapped out, sometimes that is one of the best ways. I mean, there are times we just need to shore ourselves up. We all need to know what our boundaries mm -hmm. are and what we need. And sometimes a generous act is exactly what we need to fill our own tanks. Yeah. And I really appreciate that you brought in there that we need to be making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and that we're not being generous from a, an em empty cup. Yeah. I do want to make sure, Andrea, that, that we talked about, number one, you have a webinar coming up in May, and you also mentioned a book club. Yes. But let's talk about your webinar and anything else that you want to make us all aware of that's happening with you, Trusted Advisor, or Get Real. Thank you for that. So one of the things that both Trusted Advisor Associates and the Get Real Project are absolutely committed to is sharing content freely, sharing ideas, exploring things. So you will find between our two websites, literally hundreds of articles, blog posts, and you do not have to enter a um, an email address in order to gain access. You can access it all. If you want it to be pushed to your inbox, then 
their subscription options. So that's one option for me on my website, thegetrealproject.com, if you go to subscribe. We're also really committed to that being, you know, like no strings attached. So you subscribe for content, you don't suddenly start getting announcements about, you know, opportunities to pay us to do things for you. (laughs) So it's just, it's just part of the philosophy. So, but there is a webinar we deliver. I think the goal for 2021 is to up the volume and do a free webinar once a month. And when you sign up for it, you basically obligate yourself to get one follow-up email with a bunch of resources after the webinar. And we take turns, all the associates uh, take turns hosting. And on May 11th, I think it's at 11 Eastern, I will be hosting one on um, ways to influence a skeptical audience. So how do you build trust quickly with an audience that comes to you, not predisposed to listening, but predisposed to resisting? So there's that. And there are many more. And we always post the recordings as well after the fact. Again, there's no lock and key. uh, to get to the recordings. I I just want to attest to what you're saying. There are so many, and I have sent so many people, and I have provided links to videos, the resources. It's crazy how many resources are out there, and they're really well done, thoughtful resources. And I uh, so appreciate the generosity uh, that you all have around that. And you will notice if you go to my site and you subscribe to what I used to call weekly tips, I'm about to rename those weekly-ish tips (laughs) (laughs) because COVID really did a number on my cadence (laughs) and my capacity. I'm starting to build back up, but um, there's, there's an archive that you can access. It has almost 300 tips in the archive, and I will be soon more regularly publishing those. The book club you mentioned is through an organization called High Tide. So if you go to app, A-P-P dot High Tide, and that has two I's. So it's H-I-I-T-I-D-E dot com. They are sponsoring starting April 1st, a virtual book club that features Charlie's and Dave, uh, David Maester and Rob Galford's release of the 20th anniversary edition of The Trusted Advisor, which just got released last month. And and High Tide has taken the book and they put it, it's like 28 days worth of bite-sized content and live Q&A with Charlie. So I just signed up myself as a way to get myself back in the book. I've read it many times. I've taught from it for 15 years, but there are gems and jewels in there and there are some new nuances and things that I want to get myself into. And I, but there's one thing I know about myself is I know that I benefit greatly from having structure and a support system to help me do something. So this high tide thing is not free, just to be clear, (laughs) but you can get a discount. You can get a 15% discount if you use the code TRUST15 and that's TRUST all capital letters. And it's something like if you want to join the club and get the book as well, I think it's $59 less okay. 15%. This, you know, it's a relatively small price point. Okay, good. I want to say that I did not know you before my interview with Charlie. And it's such a delight to speak with you, to read your writing. There's a certain sense of irreverence and humor. 
but intelligence, you know, it's very authentic. So thank you for, for being here, for saying yes to the interview, seeing that you did not know me. And I'm really enjoying our connection and I uh, enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you so much. Likewise, Leanne, high praise coming from you, by the way. Also, kudos to you for modeling one of the intimacy accelerators, telling somebody something you really appreciate about them. It's one of the simplest ways, assuming you do it genuinely. And I, I heard it and I take it in very genuinely. And uh, it's been a mutually rewarding experience. So let this be the beginning for sure, not the end. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening and remember, elevate your part of the world. Thank you.